0: or call 1-855-630-1001. That's
1: 1-855-630-1001. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you.
0: This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times, uh, the second hour of today's show. Um, This has been one of these days. Uh, First of all, we had some difficulty uh, hearing Peter Schiff, and uh, we we get these uh, marquee guests, and then we have trouble talking to them uh, for one reason or another, and we are having uh, apparently, uh, Dr. Skousen is not yet with us. We're hoping that we'll be able to get in touch with him shortly. Uh, in the meantime, I do want to thank uh, our sponsors uh, for the second hour of today's show, making this show economically viable. Uh, our sponsors are Brazil Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Dynacore Gold Mines, Golden Arrow Resource Corporation, Miranda Gold, Precipitate Gold, uh, and Renaissance Gold. Well, uh Dr. Skousen uh, is supposed to be with us and we're we're hoping that we do get him. Uh at this time um as my engineer is saying, we have not yet been able to hook up with him. Uh so I'm going to just talk to you a little bit about uh my newsletter and some of the things that I've just published in my February 2013 uh monthly letter. We uh, are looking at uh, this long cycle, and I pay a lot of attention to this. This is uh, sort of some, some insights from my good friend Ian Gordon uh, of the Long Wave Group, and I would suggest that you take advantage of his uh, service as well. Just uh, Google Ian Gordon Long Wave Group, and you can come up with the uh, website uh, that is available. Ian is making his newsletter available now uh, without a charge uh and he's done a lot of work in terms of the Kondratiev cycle. Um, I think that most of the time uh most of us are really focused on the day-to-day activities and we really have a hard time seeing the big picture. So people that are that are really students of history uh I think have a perspective that is very valuable and Ian Gordon is definitely a student of history. He definitely uh goes back and looks at uh the long-term picture. Uh, and there definitely are themes that run through history that you need to pay a lot of attention to. Um, and, <clears throat> and I think that that's something that's missing. Uh, so uh, we've had guests on this show like Robert Prechter, uh, Ian Gordon, uh, Bob Hoy, uh, is another one, uh, that, uh, has been, you know, people that have been really uh, very, very helpful in terms of the long, long-term view of things. Uh, Ian, Ian has, uh, staked out actual data that goes back to 1776, the, uh, the beginning of our uh, republic, uh, and showing the stock prices as well as gold prices, as well as total debt, uh, and, uh, interest rates, uh, and, and it's very clear that there are these major waves. There have been, we, uh, this being the fourth major wave since our country was born in 1776. And this current one, uh, is now ending. The current major wave is now ending in what Ian Gordon calls the Kondratiev winter. Uh, a, a period of time in which debt has gotten so large that it cannot be, uh, it cannot be repaid. And of course, uh, there, we're continuing to hear that that, from people like Paul Krugman, that total debt is nonsense. It doesn't matter, they say. How many, um, uh, they say it doesn't matter how many uh, how much debt is out there, uh, that we can continue to print more money and try to stimulate the economy with more and more debt. Well, that's clearly, uh, I think, a fallacious argument, but it's one that people are really holding on to. And and so we're seeing uh, the amount of debt to GDP in the United States far greater than it was during the 1930s, far greater than it's been any time uh, in our nation's history, and uh, we are struggling and suffocating under debt, as Peter Schiff was just uh, was just saying. Um, so we're looking at now i'm I'm talking to uh, I'm listening to a lot of different people, uh, Richard Ku of Numera securities uh, was uh, had a very interesting discussion recently with Thomas Keene in which he said uh, in which he's very, very much concerned um, that we are not that the current policies are not working, that we're not getting uh, that we're not getting out of trouble. In fact, what he says uh, we need to do, um, he calls this a balance sheet depression. And what He says what's happening uh, and what he's talking about sounds very much like the accounts of the Great Depression in which, in fact, um, the debt was so great that it could not be repaid. And what happens when people, when their balance sheets are underwater is people uh, don't spend. Why would they spend? I mean, just thinking about it from an individual point of view, people are pulling in their horns or not spending because they're not sure they're going to have a job number 1 and number 2 the jobs they have uh the real the real wages are lower and they're not um they're not able to uh to make ends meet so this is what we're what we're seeing and then the corporations that are rich with cash and have lots of money on the balance sheet uh are not really seeing any reason to go out and invest in plant and equipment because uh the top line uh, as we said earlier the uh, the income side of the equation. They're just not seeing sales increase, and so they're up against a real difficult uh, situation. Um, now, w- when we're looking at uh, one of the interesting things uh, that uh, Professor Koo pointed out uh, was that, you know, households are now, have really started to well, he, he's pointing out that the optimists have, have looked at the last quarter of last year and said, aha, now, people are spending more money, so this is really a good thing. Uh, and uh, what Ku is saying is, no, it's not a good thing because they're not really spending from savings. They're spending by selling uh, or dissavings and by selling their, their stocks and their various other assets. Of course, we did see a huge amount of small uh, uh, consumer money uh, and smaller investor money going into mutual funds at the start of this year, which has given some people some, uh, some reason for optimism. But the point is that, uh, the debt is, is so great it cannot be repaid. And what happens during these periods of time, and of course, even during the Great Depression, there were periods of time when times were a little bit better. And, um, uh and there were times when you know when um w- when things worked out seemed to be going better and uh you know i remember going back and looking at some new york times uh, from uh, articles from back in the 1930s and uh, i can remember seeing periods of time when um uh i can i can remember seeing periods of uh reading periods of time when you know you would if you were at that point in time you'd say well things are getting better there's n- what's all the fuss about Uh, but of course, uh, things were not getting, uh, things were not getting better for a long time until World War II. And there's a debate, of course, within the the Austrian School of Economics as to whether or not the, um, uh, the Second World War was really the savior of the Great Depression. Uh, still nothing from, uh, from Mark Skousen. So we'll continue on here. One of the things I'd like to point out is, uh, you know, there's this great debate between the inflationist and the deflationist, which way is it going to go? And we've had many people in this show that have talked about both sides. Uh, We've had people, uh, Robert Prechter, Ian Gordon, uh, Robert, Bob Hoy, for example, uh, a Gary Schilling, uh, a number of others. And, um, so we've had a number of people that have been on the deflation side of this great argument, but uh, we uh, and we've had others, of course, like uh, like Ron Paul. Um, we didn't get a chance to talk to Peter Schiff. Uh, unfortunately, we were not able to connect with him. A good part of the time is on the cell phone. We weren't able to listen to him. Uh, but we've had uh, you know other people that are very much James Turk, uh, Ron Paul. Uh, the majority of people we've probably talked to on this show are on the inflation side, and their logic is very simple. We're just printing so much money. Uh, sooner or later, it's got to come out in the prices. And indeed, we are seeing price inflation now. For the politicians to tell us that we have a 1.7% inflation rate, I think, is no- absolute nonsense, but that's what they're telling us. And um, uh, And so... Uh, you know, the, 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 point is that the average people, the average person is seeing their, their incomes, uh, really, uh, really sort of becoming less valuable. And they I mean, their real incomes are declining. And so we're seeing, uh, I think much more of a, of a depressed state in the economy than, uh, than we thought. Now I am told that, um, we do have Jeff Deist on the phone with me. And maybe I'll just ask Jeff to join me. Uh, could you put Jeff on, please? Hi,
3: Jay. How are you doing?
2: Hey, Jeff. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm struggling here this afternoon because uh, my guest, uh, Dr. Skousen, didn't show up. And before that, we had Peter Schiff, and he was on a cell phone. And so until he got off the cell phone, we were uh, struggling with that as well. So it's not been one of my better days. But now that you're here, uh, things are going to get better.
3: Well, that's why they call it live radio, right? Because it's never seamless. But uh, i got to tell you, I'm listening to your discussion of inflation versus deflation and, uh, you know, where this, where the, what the Fed is doing ultimately leads us. And it's very interesting because I certainly understand the hyperinflationary argument and you've got historical evidence for that as the outcome. But the flip side, of course, is that you've got, you know, businesses and individuals shedding debt at a rate that they've never done before, whether that's voluntarily or involuntarily through bankruptcy or, you know, some other kind of workout, so you've got sort of the public sector as represented by government and central banks. It's adding all this money. And then you've got the private individuals and private companies shedding debt, which is, which is deflationary. So I don't know. It, it seems to me that's an unprecedented time in American history. We've never seen anything like this. The world's reserve currency is spinning out of control. But, you know, maybe it's just two sides of the same coin. And, and at the end of the day, it, it, makes, it means that all of us are going to be poorer no matter what happens.
2: Uh Jeff we just got a uh, word here that Mark Skousen Dr. Skousen is with us would you uh, want to stay with us and sure, perhaps I'll join I'll the listen. conversation with
3: with yeah, Dr. Skousen?
2: Okay great no i uh, stay on and maybe you, uh, we can both talk to uh, to Mark Skousen. Would okay, you do great. that? Sure. Stay with us? Okay uh can you put Mark Skousen on please? Yes I am on the phone. Oh hi Mark uh, thanks for joining us. Sorry for the delay. Well, I'm, I'm sure that you have a few things to do other than twiddling your thumbs, so uh, <laughs> thank you.
4: <laughs> yeah, I was putting out my
2: hotline and a couple of trading
4: services, so I, I just got a little carried away, I'm afraid.
2: Well, um, that's because you're passionate about what you're doing, and you enjoy life, and you enjoy what you're doing, I think. Although, it's been kind of tough for some of us in the gold patch lately.
4: Yeah, I actually sold my position in gold and silver uh in late 2011. I thought it had gone up uh, too far too fast and it's just been pulling back ever since and uh so it was a good call. Uh uh yeah, we we have a small position in a fund called Gamco uh income fund which invests uh, rights covered call options on mining stocks. Uh, hmm. So we 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 get about eleven percent a year on that, and that's enough to kind of protect us while we wait for the recovery.
2: Yeah, what a smart way to go. But honestly, what made you? I mean, I didn't. I mean, that's the way to go. Obviously, if you think that you're in a sideways to down market, well, you know, right covered calls. But what made you? What what, what caused? My... I mean, it was just a sense that gold had gotten. I mean, what caused you to get out? And a lot of us other gold guys didn't get out in 2011 what did you see
4: yeah I and I think some of this is just based on experience having been in this uh, business and the bull and bear the rise and fall of uh, you know the cycle that you see in gold and silver which are inherently uh, very volatile and so I thought that uh, with all the advertising I've seen this before in the stock market as well where you just have constant advertising and promotions going on Fox News running ads constantly mm-hmm. for several years in a row and and the market was pushing higher and immediately when people when a number of people including Peter Schiff and a few others were predicting $2500 gold or higher $3000 gold uh, when it was approaching 2000 it reminded me a lot of the time that when oil was at $140 a, 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 a barrel and everyone started predicting $200. Or another example would be Apple. Everybody at $600 was saying Apple is now going to $1,000. These were all signs to me. I just kind of took a contrarian perspective here. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what uh, saved me. I, I, I can't do it every time, but it did seem to be the case here for gold and silver, and that particularly when gold when silver hit fifty dollars an ounce exactly, its previous high, yeah. and then immediately fell back. I thought that was a, a that was a sell signal.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think what you I, I believe what you are talking about is a, a, a cyclical bear for gold within a secular bull still?
4: Yeah, I think so, because the Fed is determined to keep inflation going. Money, uh, the adjusted monetary base, if you've looked at that recently, is up 44% on an annualized basis. Uh, they, they have kicked in this uh, new purchase of uh, treasuries and mortgages, and they took quite some time. They announced it last in October, but there was no evidence they were doing this until uh, just in the last month. So uh, that suggests another round of inflation, so at some point I may jump back into gold and silver, but frankly, I think the mining stocks are a better play uh, since they've been knocked down a lot further than, uh, than gold and silver.
2: Do you have a technical level where you would start to get really interested in going long or taking a more aggressive long position in gold?
4: Well, I think I would rather look at, at volume, not just price. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just think we need to, uh, uh, if if there's lot lack of interest, uh, the, if the price starts moving up on uh, low volume, that would be a good indicator for me. So... I don't necessarily see that yet, but uh, we could see it in the next few months. I think a lot of it depends on what interest rates do as well, because if interest rates start picking up, uh, that may make it more difficult
2: uh, for gold and silver to move higher since they don't pay interest. Well, I mean, we, you can talk about interest rates. You can talk about real interest rates, right? I mean, if we start to have a lot of inflation, interest rates could go up and still remain negative or, or very well, low. We,
4: we have negative interest rates, so it could be like the 70s, absolutely. Yeah. So if that's the case, uh, then, then gold and silver may still rise. Uh, but I think the stock market could also rise on that basis, and I actually think that uh, we're seeing a great transition right now from the bond market to the stock market, which is kind of a phase... Phase two of an economic recovery, however artificial it may be.
2: Do you believe that we have uh, that we've that the long, that the bull market and the long dated treasuries uh, is over? Uh,
4: I, I think a lot of us have uh, have uh, almost destroyed our reputation on predicting this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, since it's been uh, several years where all of us thought we've we surely seen the bottom. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, uh, one indica- there's a couple of indicators uh, of this change. One is in the mortgage REITs. The mortgage REITs are cutting their dividends. Uh, their prices are coming down. That's an indication that the yield curve is changing. It's not as profitable as it used to be. That means short-term rates are rising. Uh, and the other one is the prime rate funds. The prime rate funds are now starting to increase their dividends, their leverage, just like the mortgage REITs. And they're increasing their dividends uh, with these senior uh, prime rate, you know, floating rate funds uh, or, or um, um, loans, and uh, those are those are paying extra dividends and so forth. I've been recommending uh, the Eaton Vance Floating Rate Fund uh, (EFT) uh, is the symbol, and they've they've raised their dividend four times. So those. And I, and I've sold my mortgage REITs on the same mm-hmm. basis because they're cutting their dividends. So mm-hmm. there's a, those are a couple of indicators in my mind, uh, that, that we're seeing, uh, a reversal here. But look, we've seen it before. So there, the fear, the, the fear factor is still there. When people panic, they still go into treasuries and that could keep this market going if there's another panic. Uh it's not you know we we have lots of alternatives now to gold for uh safe havens um,
0: mm-hmm.
4: and uh Treasury still remain that uh despite all the shenanigans that are going on with the Federal Reserve and with Washington bleeding red
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, and that and that leads to the question. Actually, I, I have Jeff Deist, uh, who was kind enough to join me here uh, when you weren't available at the start of the hour, uh, and we were talking, you know, about one of the one of the big topics that we have on this show. Uh, I think it's what all of us guys think about a lot is inflation or deflation. You have this extraordinary uh, creation of, of monetary reserves that are pumped into the system, but uh, you know, we've had people like Robert Prechter in this show, a Gary Schilling uh, others that are on the deflation side, and we've had others that are equally on the other side of the of the fence. Uh, James Turk, for example, Ron Paul's been on here, people that uh, are, you know, real rabid inflationists. They think this can't help but go uh, the other way into some sort of hyperinflation. Maybe, maybe both extremes, uh, maybe neither of these extremes will take place. We can hope and pray that's the case. But what, where do you come down on this great inflation deflation debate?
4: Well, I see. Inflation, uh, the, the government is the inflation factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the ones in charge of inflation. The market is the deflation factor. The market wants deflation. And since World War II, or since the Great Depression, ultimately government has won this uh, inflation-deflation debate. Uh, every, virtually every time. I mean, the, the market does have periods of time of deflation and they're winning for a while, but then government steps in, they pump money into the system, uh, they lower interest rates, they do what they, they just did the last round, and they're winning again. Uh, I think at some point it could co- completely unravel, uh, which is the scenario that the deflationers are always expecting but we underestimate we really underestimate the government's ability to paper over uh, these uh uh these malinvestments um, mm-hmm. and so my my perspective has always been on this more on the side of inflation but there are some torrential times when deflation appears to be very power, very powerful force. And these are market forces. These are mm-hmm. market forces saying malinvestment is bad. And, uh, I, uh, I have to tell you just from my own perspective, because every investor is good at some things and not good at others. So I'm much better at picking bottoms uh, where I think the government has the upper hand toward Reinflation and recovery than I am at figuring out where's this top where the whole system is coming down and collapsing. So uh, you know uh, your your uh, other guests may be may, may be doing a better job of that.
2: Uh, um, Jeff, uh, feel free to to jump in if you have anything you'd like to add or ask Mark. Um,
3: well, I'm curious. You know, I agree that that when when we talk about governments having an ability to inflate and sort of prop things up artificially a lot longer than we ever imagined, that's probably true. But I guess that's almost an argument from the from the perspective of the uh, the pro money, pro Fed Keynesian p- folks who would say, "Look, as long as we prop it up till after I'm gone." then uh, that's success, right? That's, uh, that's prosperity, however false. I mean, a lot of Austrians were saying back in the 70s that the fiat dollar could never be viable for long, and here we are 40 years later, um, yeah. and the, the fiat dollar is still the world's reserve currency.
4: Yeah, I think one of the issues here is that a lot of the malinvestment does go away during this transition period. You establish a level of stability. It's still somewhat artificial, but there has been quite a bit of malinvestment cleaned off the the uh, table. And, and real estate is an example of that. Lots of foreclosures. I mean, millions of foreclosures. Uh, refinancing. Uh, banks getting their act together. Uh, the, you know, they haven't done it completely. There wasn't a total clean out of the system. But there was a lot of, uh, of uh, uh, cleanup, if you will, that, that's going on. And I think a lot of our uh, gold bug uh, groups uh, fail to see how the banks have strengthened their balance sheets and how individuals are starting to save more. And they, they saw what could happen w- when they got overextended in credit card Uh, you know, savings rates are rising. So these are all positive signs, even in the midst of a government bailout, if you will.
2: Well, so we saw some of that during the, I mean, not we, none of us are that old, but I mean, during the 1930s, we went through this long period of time, would you say that that happened as well during that time? And after eight years or so, ultimately, things did get cleaned up in spite of government.
4: Yeah, yeah, I think that was the case. Now, it was still slow growth, though, in the 30s, and it's slow mm-hmm. growth now because the government interference was uh, so strong. So there is a mixture of what's going on there, and this is why I've been uh, bullish. You know, I, th- I think when I was listening in right at the beginning, you were saying we're, we'll all be the poorer because of what's going on. And that's not necessarily the case. I would say that may be the case for a lot of people. There's, there's going to be winners and losers in mm-hmm. this uh, market and uh I mean I've I've been doing very well in my newsletter by being very selective on my investments I've been particularly focusing on dividend paying stocks which is kind of a sweet spot of investing right now I don't know how long it'll last uh but it seems to me that you know there Adam Smith said something really interesting he said that uh, the the natural progress of things and the improvement in in technology, if you will, and didn't actually use that word, uh, can be achieved uh, eh, despite the greatest administ- uh, errors of administration, you know, government blunders. Um, and I think we we often see how technology continues to improve, uh, you know, the iPhones, if you will, and and the uh, pe- people are constantly finding ways to save money and, and, and improve production And uh, there, uh, Don du- Boudreau had a wonderful article uh, and Mark Perry had a wonderful article in the, new, in the Wall Street Journal op-ed page just a month ago about, yeah, wages have stagnated, no question about it but people's standard of living continues to rise uh, and they gave tons of examples of this sort of thing
2: Hmm. Well, uh, so so we're seeing. So there definitely is some improvement. There's no no getting around that. I mean, I, it's just the, the the feeling is better now, Mark. But it seems to me that what happens is that we've got a. You know, you, you're Doctor Skousen. You have a lot of education. You. It seems to me, what and and there are people that are making lots of money in the stock market. But this has been the case all along. I've made the argument, and tell me what you think about this. That in fact, when you have the sort of a system that we have, with money being pumped into the, you know, being created out of nothing, pumped into the system, that you have a reallocation of wealth from the people that produce it. I like to say, the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, people that actually do, even doctors and dentists, people that do things for us are not faring very well. Wall Street and Washington and the GDP of of the government is growing very dramatically. And yes, there are people. I have a partner that's done extremely well, Chen Lin, from Beijing. I gave up his uh, his doctoral program at Princeton in in aeronautical engineering because he was making so darn much money in the stock market. Yes, there are people that do very well, but isn't it a gaming of the system that this sort of monetary uh pumping encourages that you have you know you have people not becoming doctors but being hedge fund managers instead because they can make more money that way isn't this part of what happens when you pump money into the system the way the way they are well yeah a lot of
4: speculators speculators do benefit uh in in people who are risk averse and are putting their money into cash into CDs and just sitting letting their money sit basically, and I meet a lot of those people, even at money shows and investment conferences who have not become fully invested. They're still afraid. So there's no question about that. But I also talk to a lot of business people, uh, people who are running insurance companies, people who are car dealerships, uh, hotel managers, and they all tell me that business is back in mm-hmm. a very positive way. And again, it's somewhat artificial because it was the government that kind of uh, pump money into the system and got it going. But it's business. It's not just investors that are doing well right mm-hmm. now. My mm-hmm. recommendation to all of them is to keep your powder dry, to build those uh, uh, cash reserves, those uh, uh, earnings, um, retained earnings. Uh, don't go over, uh, uh, engage in excessive expansion uh, into uh, – these various uh, products of yours, but hold back, retain some of those earnings. And in fact, corporations are doing this. You look at profits at an all-time high, but so is the number, uh, the amount of cash that they have on hand that they are not investing. And why? Because they all know, just like you and I know, that this is an artificial uh, recovery to some extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so uh, new bubbles are being created, and, and they're, they're afraid of that, and they should be afraid of that sort of thing. So I'm recommending a, a, a you know, you can't ignore the expansion, but you need to be a little bit more uh, prudent, if you will. You mm-hmm. go back to Ben Franklin's three principles uh, are really important, industry thrift and prudence. And we forget that last one, prudence a lot.
2: Well, Mark, you're I think considered to be an optimist and I'm starting to understand why now and I think it's really good to have people like you on the show. You first of all you are a, a free market orientated individual, you believe in Austrian economics and uh, limited government if if that were the your choice. Uh I guess, uh, correct me if I'm wrong about that, but I think that um at the same time, you know, some of us guys are, are sort of doomsdayers, or doomsayers a lot of times. And, uh, and we, you know, we miss our opportunities to, to do as well as we could because we're always, you know, wringing our hands and, and worried about, uh, about the worst thing happening. So I guess, I, I guess I hear what you're saying. And I, I, I guess, you know, you, I, I think this is a good time for you to tell our listeners where they can avail themselves to your service. You have a news, a couple of newsletters, right?
4: Uh, I have one main newsletter called Forecasts and
2: Strategies.
4: I've been writing it since 1980 when Ronald Reagan was elected, and maybe that's where my optimism came from, uh, because it was at that time that uh, I I did take a strong stand. that I thought gold and silver had reached their top, and that more traditional investments of stocks and bonds would do well. And it took a couple of years for me to be vindicated uh, in that 1980-82 mm-hmm. period, but uh, that's what... Uh, Got, uh, st- got me started. I, I would, in the Austrian theory of the business cycle, and, and by the way, I'm writing a book right now, uh, I just finished it, that Laissez-Faire Books is gonna be published called A Viennese Waltz Down Wall Street. Mm-hmm. So it's Austrian economics for investors, um, and, uh, uh, one of the points I try to make is that, uh, those, the Austrians, the, who tend to be doomsayers as you say uh, gold bugs and so on they tend to see the markets constantly artificial because the government's involved so that a crash could come at any time and of course that's um, so that's their uh, bearishness that's there but they ignore mm-hmm. the that it's a bull mar, bull bear market that it is a inflationary boom followed mm-hmm. by a deflationary bust. And so mm-hmm. we can't ignore the positive inflationary boom side. And I try to uh, emphasize that more because I'm better at it. You know, you have to mm-hmm. kind of pick your battles. Uh, so that's that's been my approach. But anyway, the newsletter called uh, Forecasts and Strategies, and people can just go to the website, MarkSkousen.com, S-K-O-U-S-E-N.com to... Uh, to register and so forth.
2: Now you're um uh I, I believe you just you just had a conference down in in some nice warm climate while in we were Bahamas, suffering up yeah. here in the Bahamas while we were going through a snowstorm here in New York. But uh and my good friend Larry Parks, uh Dr. Parks was there at your yeah. conference I believe. And uh Larry uh was telling me that you had passed along uh as some some event where a lot of economists had gotten together. I forget which organization it was, and that uh, that there was a you, that they weren't agreeable on too many things. But one thing they were absolutely agreeable on was that we should never ever go back onto a gold standard. Uh, do I have that right? Am, am I getting the story right? Uh, yes. It's, what happened was I attended
4: the annual AEA meetings. This is the American Economic Association, the professional economists gathered together, usually the first week in January, and this time it was in sunny San Diego, and one of the speakers from Harvard showed this incredible chart of inflation measured by the CPI before 1913 and after 1913, and before 1913, it showed virtually no inflation at all except for brief periods of war like the Civil War. But after 1913, it showed that prices had gone up dramatically since the establishment of the Federal Reserve. It's the 100th mm-hmm. anniversary. And it said prices had gone up 3,000 percent, 30-fold, <laughs> as a result of this. And you look at that 1913 period, and you know that 1914 was the period when we, we started moving away from the gold standard, the classical gold standard. Mm-hmm. And, and by 1971, completely abandoned the gold standard. And so I found it ironic that in another session on the surveying of professional economists, they wanted to see if there's cons- any consensus among economists on minimum wage law, deficits. Uh, and one of the questions was, should we go back on the gold standard? And this was the only one where professional economists agreed 100 percent, no, definitely should not go back on the only standard monetary system that would provide the discipline to keep inflation in check, I thought it was so ironic.
2: Well, did you vote, Mark?
4: Did I vote?
2: Did, were you a voting economist?
4: Oh no, I wasn't asked. Uh, oh, okay, it was, it was a group of well-known uh, full-time economists. You know, I I teach uh, economics on a part-time basis, so they mm-hmm. they did not ask me. But they included a lot of. Uh, Free market type economists, especially from the University of Chicago, but you know, they tend to be anti gold. Uh, I don't know, if, I don't think they asked Jim Gortney or, uh, you know, James Buchanan or some of them, yeah. but even, even that, they may have had some, uh, some problems with the gold standard. Who, I mean, it's hard to say, uh, but generally speaking, I did, I did think it was, uh rather ironic and rather funny that uh, they they would not support what what would in other words, they weren't really <laughs> serious about inflation. Yeah. They, they want inflation to continue, they want the Federal Reserve to continue. And so as a financial advisor, I'm very alert to that that any sign of deflation or trouble ahead of any kind of a crisis the answer is always and this is taught in all the money and banking classes and all the universities the response is increase liquidity i mean it's just like memorized in the minds of every right. economist increase liquidity
2: cut cut rates it's, it's in their dna i think at this stage after so many years i i, I think uh, i think that's uh, they can't help themselves uh... mark we're out of time unfortunately I'm i'm really there's so much more to talk to you about i do want to tell people the maxims the maxims of wall street an excellent book it's really a a whole bunch of very clever quotes and and a lot of wisdom packed in here it's been a it's been a a really successful book as i understand it mark and i know you've published a whole lot of other things as well i'd like to talk to you about so many more questions uh... i hope we can have you back again sometime well, thank uh, you in the not-too-distant future. I really
4: enjoyed it, and uh, look forward to it.
2: Love to have you back again. Folks, don't go away. Jeff Dice uh, will return with me, hopefully, and uh, we'll talk about some of the issues on his mind right now. So don't go away. We'll be right back.
1: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at Dynacor Gold.
2: Windfall profits happen frequently in gold exploration stocks, but the risk of losses are also common. Miranda Gold enhances prospects of shareholder gains by combining the intellectual capital of geologists, mine Ken Cunningham and Joe Herbert with other people's hard dollars in search for elephant-sized gold deposits in politically safe places like Nevada and Columbia. That keeps shareholder dilution to a minimum, so when discoveries are made, major gains are possible. For more, go to MirandaGold.com.
5: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades Insights. Call 718 457 1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, it's been a tumultuous day to say the least with uh, difficulties, but we won't focus on that with the time we have left. We want to uh, take advantage of Jeff Dice being with us and uh, just coming off of a discussion with uh, Mark Skousen, Dr. Skousen, very, very interesting guest. I wished I had him, uh, had more time with him and, and hope to have him on sometime again because I think he's really worth, really worth listening to. Uh, Jeff, what are, you, you were part of that discussion a little bit. Uh, what are your thoughts?
3: Yeah, it was really fascinating. I enjoyed it. And i got to tell you, you know, those of us who are come to investing from an Austrian or libertarian perspective, I think you're so right. We tend to really focus on the negative. We seem, tend to view all markets as inherently rigged, especially when you consider the Fed as pumping liquidity. And so as a result, you know, as investors, not as, as people with political or philosophical ideas, but purely as investors, I think sometimes that skews us into negative territory, and we miss out on some of the gains that could be had. You know, maybe they are artificial, but like he says, the boom and bust cycle has a boom side. And, you know, Austrian business cycle theory explains the bust, but, you know, we should also be capitalizing on the booms. And what I really like about Mark Skousen is that, he, like Doug Casey, he's a guy who lives in and thrives in the world as it is. Yeah. You know, as as libertarians and as Austrians, we tend to be a grumpy bunch, and we tend to <laughs> see a lot of downside because there's obviously some horrific things going on uh, in the world with governments and central banks, and I don't want to, de- de- you know, minimize those things, but nonetheless, I mean, if there's an opportunity to make money on something, you know, on the traditional equity markets or whatever it might be because of what the Fed is doing, then we should certainly apply our knowledge and our understanding of economics to do so so I thought it was great and you know a couple years ago I had the good fortune to go to Freedom Fest which is the annual conference that Mark Skowden hosts in Las Vegas
2: Mm -hmm. and it
3: was a real blast so I you know I really recommend it to to people who who want to be around a really dynamic group of liberty-minded individuals and it's not another sort of boring investment or stock conference or yeah. old conference it 's more of a philosophical political conference, and uh, you know you can 't do much better than than uh, Las Vegas for fun, so I, I think it 's in June or July, but I really recommend it and Ron Paul has been a featured speaker there several times
2: yeah i 'd certainly like to go this year for sure, and I think what you say is absolutely right, jeff about uh, you know, about this negative attitude, and you know one person, my partner, Chen Lin. Uh, who has been able to make money and he sort of understands, I think he's probably has a good appreciation of the dynamics that that Austrian economists have. But nonetheless, he doesn't let that sort of uh, burden him, you know, and, and he sees money getting pumped into the system. He's gonna, uh, he's gonna get, you know, get what he can out of that and, and take advantage of it. So, uh, you know, I think that that's, that's, uh, advice. That's advice well taken. Well, what about uh, Ron Paul, another person that you and I both admire very much? What is what is he up to these days? What are his plans now that he's uh, out of government?
3: Well, he is embarking on a new radio-slash-podcast career, which is going to uh, debut in, in March. I'm, I think it's going to be great. So basically... Um he is starting a radio show with Charles Goyette, who a lot of you will remember is a pretty famous radio host. And uh, a gentleman named Norm Pattis is, is, is actually the, the, the man who founded the Westwood One Radio Network, which is a huge conglomeration. He's behind it, so it's got very solid talent and very solid financial backing. And Ron is just going to sort of uh, do daily podcasts on current events um, you know, he has been appearing a lot on, on network media. He appeared after the uh, State of the Union speech to give his thoughts. Uh, I guess that's a week or so ago. He was recently on with uh, Tavis Smiley and Dr. Cornell West, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very interesting PBS show that has sort of a different dynamic, different audience. Uh, so he's definitely getting out there and writing his weekly column and, um, of course, doing speaking engagements uh, as well. So a very busy guy.
2: Oh, it's really good to know that he's going to be continuing to educate people, help people understand, I think, economics as as they really are. I mean, um, the antithesis of Robin Hood economics, which I think is what we're being given all the time. It's very easy for people to understand, you know, you take from the rich and give to the poor. It's harder to understand free market economics and how that is the better for all of us and how it's more democratic, frankly, than... Uh, than what we have now with uh, the people who are well-connected or the people that have uh, the skill set to go out and, and uh, game the system. I, th- I think it's parasitic, honestly, because I think you're taking you know, wealth from those that create it and put it in the pockets of those that that have either power in Washington or, or on Wall Street or the brains to use uh, to game the system. So anyway, enough editorializing from me. Uh, Jeff, I also want to ask you a little bit. You and I were talking – earlier today about, you know, a lot of us guys that have been long in gold and silver, and Mark talked about how he got out uh, pretty much in uh, 2011, I think he said he exited out of the gold and silver space. But you made a, a good point, I think that's well worth observing, and that is that you look at gold as not as an investment, but as a wealth preservation vehicle, right?
3: Absolutely. I That's why I don't fret about $1,600 gold, I don't fret about $1,500 gold. Uh, you know, to me, gold is first and foremost a hedge and a store of value. And I suppose it could become, if things really got rough in America, and if our government ever let us, it could also become a form of currency, probably, unfortunately, in the black market. So I really view gold as an insurance policy. And now, that being said, I don't think anyone should overpay for an insurance policy if they don't have to. So, if someone says, "Hey, I think like Mark Skousen, hey, I think gold is going south for a while, and I'm not going to buy any," which is also what Jim Rogers is saying right now, um, mm-hmm. then I think that's absolutely fine. But I don't care if it goes down, but let's say below a thousand. I mean, first and foremost, a lot of the gold I've bought, uh, I bought for less than a thousand. Right. Second of all, it, you know, it, it's like if you buy a gun to protect your home, or if you buy a life insurance policy to protect your family, and, and you buy, you pay sixteen hundred dollars for it. It, you know, it doesn't really bother you that much if they drop the price later to a thousand. I mean, yeah, you wish you could have paid a thousand, but you still had the insurance policy or the gun to protect your home during that period. So, you know, I just don't, I just don't buy in this whole investor concept when it comes to gold. And maybe Mark Scoulson's right. Maybe the money that's come in the gold in the last couple of years is the so-called dumb money. You know, mm-hmm. when you see gold and silver constantly advertised on Fox News or whatever, uh, you know, maybe that means you are in sort of the tail end of something. And, and Mark Skousen s- smelled maybe a bubble and got out. But at the end of the day, gold just sits there. It's just a lump and it's static, right? It's the dollar that's going up and down. Right. And with the Fed pumping out $85 billion in new d- dollars every month, there's nothing that you can possibly see out there that is fundamentally... On the upside for the dollar, I mean the dollar is going to get worse. So these these price fluctuations in gold, as measured only by the dollar, um, mm-hmm. I, I don't concern myself with. And you know, it, uh, I don't think anybody ever really got rich buying gold, um, right? And that's not really the goal. I mean, right. uh, you know, if if you want upside. And you want rapid upside, there's no easy way. You can't just go oh. buy physical gold. You're going to have to roll up your sleeves and do an awful lot of hard work studying companies on uh, you know, on the TSX, maybe, and try to find yeah. the, the diamond in the rough in the mining stock. sector. Yeah.
2: Well, that's that's not easy either, Jeff. As one who tries to do that all the time, I can tell you, I'm, we're out of time, unfortunately. Hey, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on and coming on a little early in Mark Skousen's absence. I, of course, look forward to talking to you again real soon. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks. Folks, don't go away. I'll have some thoughts about today's show and also a word about next week's guest. Don't go away. I'll be right back. When it comes to
1: business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
3: Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company
1: focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over
3: $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals.
2: Welcome back to turning hard times into good times. Uh, it has been a hard time today, and of, of sorts uh, for me as a uh, as your host. It was uh, not uh, one of the easier shows, to to say the least, with the difficulties technically with uh, with Peter Schiff. But Peter, uh, we still got a lot of good information in from Peter, just not nearly what I had hoped for. I think you. Uh, uh, you know, Peter always uh, has uh, sees the world through the uh, lenses of Austrian economics. Uh, and, uh, and, and that is very, very valuable. At the same time, I think that Mark Skousen provided some great insights as well, uh, into, uh, why maybe those of us who look at the world only through Austrian lenses and those of us who look at the world with some sort of a pure, a purist approach uh sometimes uh it doesn't serve us the best. I can tell you for sure that uh Chen Lin, my partner uh doesn't look at the world that way, and I know that Chen has made an awful lot of money because he hasn't been uh constrained by uh let's say the rigid rules uh or ideology of Austrian economics and I don't mean to to downplay the importance. I believe with all my heart that free markets are are the place are would be from a macro perspective from a pol- policy perspective, the best thing that we c- could happen to America would be a, a to a return to limited economics uh, limited government inter- intervention, I should say in the economy uh, but we 're not there, and the people in america aren 't there, and they don 't want that they want to as uh, as Peter Schiff pointed out, uh, most people or as Jeff diced, I, I think it was uh, Peter, maybe it was Jeff that pointed out that in fact. Uh, Americans want to be, uh, want to be coddled. They want people to take care of them. They don't really want to be free. Uh, and they don't understand how free market economics, uh, really, uh, benefit them and, and actually lead to a more democratic, more free, more fair, more even playing field. Uh, for all of the people, if we had free market economics, but I can tell you in talking to so many people in my life, people that I know very well, they don't understand it. So, uh, that's where the, for the, where the country is. And certainly, you know, we talked to Robert Prechter, uh, he, he looks at these social, Uh, the, the social, uh, norms and the attitudes of society and why, in fact, uh, governments do what they do, uh, it is really a reflection of, of, uh, social attitudes and norms to a very great extent. Now, we can talk all we want about rational economics, but if, uh, uh but if the uh if people are acting irrationally and politicians and central bankers uh are doing everything they can to overturn the natural forces of markets then uh you know we do have to pay some attention to that and adjust our economics and uh, our our uh, investment uh uh plans accordingly i'm afraid well we are going to um, <clears throat> next week we're going to have what I should mention before I say about next week's guest, I uh, Jeff Dice was just saying that maybe one of the best ways to do it is to look at uh, to make some money real fast is to look at some companies on the TSX, on the Toronto Stock Exchange, and and certainly there are opportunities there, and I think <clears throat> we talked earlier today with Joe Keezis of um, Bravada Gold, and I. I mean, I, I tried my very best to to have Joe lay out the basics and the reasons that I like that stock a lot at these prices at a nickel a share. I mean, uh, they have the they have the goods in the ground. They have um, lots of uh, gold and silver and uh, Argonaut, uh, the company that's there to their partner now. Um, I think a very capable operator and one that could uh, could uh, bring that project into production. Uh, and if they go forward with it, then you know we can look. I think, for a valuation that is many times greater than the current uh, $0.05 share price and uh, with lots of blue sky beyond that because we can see now perhaps upwards to about a million ounces uh, for uh, for Bravada Gold, uh, but there could be an awful lot more than that because there's a lot of other – targets that they haven't uh, drilled into yet. So there are opportunities and they are high-risk endeavors, though. Uh, mining is a very, very difficult business, the exploration, development. It's very difficult, but right now the shares have gotten whacked so hard that it's probably time that people should be looking to uh, to pick up some, uh, some bargains. We've got 30 seconds left. I have just enough time to tell you. Next week's guest, Jim Rogers, he will be with us to talk about Street Smarts and Dr. Alvin Schmidt. Uh, We'll talk about a book he's written a number of years ago, How Christianity Changed the World. Very interesting, and I'm sure for many uh, people, very controversial, but uh, we are not afraid of controversy on this show. Thanks again for listening to the show, making it the number one show on The Voice America Business Channel. I want to thank Tacey Trump, my producer, and Matt uh, Widener, my engineer, for making the show logistically possible. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. (music)